0: Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@StevensCreekChurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. And uh, like J.T. said, we've got over 100 small groups. He only told us about 45 of them. And so uh, please step out in the atrium and you can hear about the other. But it is a, a great time to truly get connected. You know I like to start with something funny. Do so you ever hear about the 92-year-old the man uh, that was not feeling well and decided to go to the doctor for a checkup? And a few days after that, the doctor happened to see him out and about on town. And, and, and he was there with a beautiful young woman. And he seemed so happy. And the doctor was surprised said, wow, you must be doing a lot better. He said, well, I took your advice. He said, you did? He said, yeah, you told me to go get a, a hot mama and stay cheerful. He said, whoa, wait a minute. I said, you had a heart murmur and be careful. Over the next few minutes, we're going to uh, talk about, about a story about a man uh, who is healed and uh, spiritually and physically. The story is told in Mark chapter 2 uh, and begin reading with verse 1. And this story uh, takes place during a time when Jesus' ministry was starting to expand throughout the region. People were coming from far and wide to be touched by his power and to hear his teaching. So we pick it up in Mark chapter 2. It says a few days later when Jesus again returned to Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many of them had gathered. So many had gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening, an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the, uh, the mat. The paralyzed man was laying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, said, your sins are forgiven now let's take a little background for this story uh, in the book of mark like i said this was during a time when jesus's ministry began to spread throughout the region now you've got to understand in those days just like it is today jesus uh, was a very polarizing figure because he came not only to to challenge the process but he came to challenge or to change how people connected to god And so people had some mixed emotions about that. Some people loved him, while other people could not stand him and worked and worked to discredit his work. Well, when news spread that he was going to Capernaum, people gathered from all over the countryside. And they crowded into this uh, small village to try to get a glimpse of this miracle worker from God. They came and they brought people with with physical needs because they believed that Jesus was their hope for healing. Now, as as people, as Jesus began to teach, the people gathered around the house and they filled up this room. You've got to understand, in those days, uh, uh, they would meet in houses and it was a large house, had a flat roof on it. And people uh, filled up that house. People filled up the outside of the courtyard of the house. But then along the, uh, the walls were a group of Pharisees and Sadducees. Now these Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. And they were not uh, there endorsing Jesus' ministry. They were there trying to find out ammunition to tear it down, to discredit his work. I can envision them standing around the walls with their their arms uh, crossed like this, just waiting to find some type of ammunition to try to discredit the work of the Lord. And so this house, like I said, was a typical house. Uh, it had a flat roof on it. And those flat roofs, and the flat roofs in those days were made out of tile. They typically would have a set of stairs going up to this roof. And as they were listening to Jesus, they heard a noise. And people looked around wondering, you know, where's that noise coming? What is that? And then they saw some dirt and some dust uh, floating down from the center of the room. And they, they, they looked up. And there was a beam of light that came through the ceiling. And then they noticed that someone had taken the tiles of the roof off in a certain section. Caused the sunlight to come. And they're looking up. And as they're looking up, they see four faces looking down at them. And as those four faces start looking down, they backed off and they lowered a mat. And so the room was Uh, ...quiet at that moment. They they couldn't believe what was happening... ...and and they looked up and they saw this man on a mat... ...this paralyzed man start to come down right in front of them. The Bible says the man on the mat was a paralytic. He had some form of, of chronic paralysis... ...a disease that in those days would definitely be hopeless... ...and even really hopeless in our day. And he must have been desperately ill... For four of his friends to go to his house to say to him, we're taking you to see Jesus. And to think about that, they literally had to do that. They had to pick him up on a mat and take him to the house where Jesus was at. And as they lowered him into that room, the room was quiet and Jesus looked at him. And Jesus realized that this man, this paralytic, was much sicker than they all thought he was. He was much sicker because Jesus realized that he had a greater need than physical healing. But there was a spiritual sickness in him and he needed to be healed from the inside out. He was bound by sin. He was paralyzed by sin. You know, we've all been there. We've all been paralyzed by our mistakes. We've all made mistakes. And those mistakes have been uh, so grave that they have held us back from being the people we are created to be. They've held us back from being, living out the purpose God intended us. In fact, we understand we're in the same boat. Paul said it this way. All of us have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all... In the same boat. We're in the same issue. We've all made mistakes. You you look around this auditorium today. And you understand that there's nobody perfect in the room. There's nobody perfect here. We've all made mistakes. We've all blown it. We've, We've sinned. And Jesus was teaching that group that day. And he is teaching us here today. And to those of you that are watching online. He is teaching us this. That our greatest problems are not physical problems. Our greatest needs are not physical needs. Our greatest needs are spiritual needs. Our greatest problems are spiritual problems. We are in a place where we need spiritual healing. We need forgiveness. I don't know what you struggle with. But I know you struggle I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know you deal with stuff. And you're like me. You've fallen. You've made mistakes. You've sinned. You may be paralyzed with some type of fear. You may be paralyzed with some type of addiction. You may be paralyzed with some type of control issues. And you're at a place where you're just longing to start over. You're longing to... uh, To turn over a new leaf. But Jesus came not to help you turn over a new leaf. But Jesus came to give you a new life. So here's the point. We've got to come to the place where we're willing to ask forgiveness for your mistakes. And we've got to be willing to take that next step and move on. Because I believe that God has a great future ahead of you. Jesus Was there that day to change the lives of the people in that room? Jesus is here today to do the same. And when Jesus looked at that man laying on that mat and said, "Your sins are forgiven," man, when he said those words, those were like fighting words in that group in that room. When he said those words, I would imagine those Pharisees leaning against the walls there said, "What did he say? Did I did I hear what I think I heard that?" He said your sins are forgiven. Who is he to think that he can forgive sin? Nobody can forgive sins except God and God alone. I would imagine at that moment, the anger on the inside of those men started to boil but as their anger on the inside started to boil their eyes began to open wide to something that they never imagined could happen and especially happen right in front of their eyes we go to the next verse and Jesus looked at that paralytic and said I'll tell you get up take your mat and go home And what do we see? That man that was lame, that man that was on that mat, what happened? Verse 12, he got up. He took his mat. He walked out in what? In full view of them. They couldn't deny it. They saw it with their own eyes. He walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, it says. And they praised God said, we have never seen anything like this. Before. Never seen anything. You know the problem with the Pharisees that day. Is they had God in a box. They saw God in the rituals and the laws that they were trying to keep. They didn't see God in the experience of his power and his majesty. They limited God To a set of rules. And to a set of rituals. And Jesus in that moment said. I want you to take God out of the box. You know. I put God in a box a lot. You know because I often interpret God. And what he can do. By the things I've seen him do. So therefore, it's a pretty big box. I've seen God do some amazing things in this room and with people uh, in our congregation. I've seen lives put back together. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen people physically healed. And so my box is pretty big. And oftentimes I put him in that box and he would say to me, Marty, I am bigger than your box. I am bigger than your box. And I think he would be saying the same thing to all of us. Don't put God in a box. God is so much bigger than we think He is. He's bigger than your box. I wrestle with this and I, I try to, uh, to really focus my attention on God's greatness to help me get through that. I often pray the, the Lord's Prayer. I prayed it this morning. I prayed it this morning. I said, Our Father. And I just stopped right there Our Father. And I just started thinking that he is my heavenly father. Do you know that prayer? Our father, which art in heaven. And I I think right there at that moment, I think about he is in heaven, which means that he is in a place of authority. He is my father, my heavenly father. He is in heaven, which means he's in a place of authority. Hallowed be your name. The name, his name. I think about the power of a name. I think about the popular names of, that we know. The names of power. I think about President Donald Trump. That's a name of power. I think about President Barack Obama. That was a name of power. President Putin. That's a name of power. Those are very powerful names. Those names can speak And the markets will tremble tomorrow as a result of their words. They're powerful names. I think about the powerful names of the entertainment industry. I think about Justin Bieber, how powerful that name is, or or Oprah. Or I thought about Beyonce. Beyonce, she's a powerful name. In fact, do you know she's in concert tonight in Atlanta? Actually, when I was thinking about that, I thought, I wonder if I could get any tickets. I actually spent about five or 10 minutes looking at seats tonight for tonight's concert. I have never seen Beyonce before in concert. I can't even tell you one of her songs, but I thought, you know what? It's time for, I need to do something I've never done before. (laughs) I thought maybe go to a Beyonce. And some of you are saying, Marty, you don't need to go to a Beyonce concert. So literally I, I actually thought that of course, Patty's rolling her eyes, um, I said that in the first service. This is Noah. A guy came forward and said, Marty, I've got three tickets to Beyonce I want to give you tonight. I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I got friends coming over tonight. But you think about these powerful names. That, that these names can really shake the culture. But let me say, there is one name that's greater than all of those names. It is the name of Jesus and it is at his name. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. And so Jesus was there preaching the word, healing people. And these four guys knew Jesus was there and they made it a point this small group, to go to their friend's house and pick him up. So what happens? They made room in their heart for the Lord, and then they made room in their schedule for somebody else. They made room in their schedule for somebody else. You see, here's the point. I think God will work miracles when we make room for other people. I think God will work miracles when you make room for other people. You make room in your heart for God, and then you start to make room in your heart for other people. This miracle may have never happened if those four guys had not made room in their hearts and in their schedule for their paralyzed friend. They went over to his house and picked him up and literally carried him to this house. And when they got there, they couldn't get in the door because the crowd of people was there. And so many times people just give up, well, we tried, we did our best, but the crowds were there, but they were not going to allow the crowds to deter them from getting their friend the help that their friend needed. So they went up the stairs and they went to the roof and they took the tiles off of the roof and they lowered him down in. And this was an act of faith. This was an act of faith. And when they demonstrated their faith, God responded to that faith. Because God always responds to faith. Here's the point. When you put your faith in God, I believe that he works things out in your favor. He works things out in your favor. I believe that God wants to move in your life. And he wants to move in our life. And he wants to move in this church. Very interesting thing happened this past week. Uh, I was able, Patty and I flew out to uh, Lakewood Church in Houston and um, happened to be with uh, Joel and Victoria Osteen uh, Monday and Tuesday. They're the real deal, sweet folks. When we were uh, at Lakewood Tuesday morning, Um, We were standing in line, and uh, a guy we'd never met before, his name is Dr. Rob Thompson. He pastors a church in Chicago, probably um, around 70 years old. He's been there over 40-something years as a pastor. Never met him before, and he came up to me, and he looked at me and said, God has a second harvest for you, and that second harvest will be bigger than the first harvest. I thought, that's kind of interesting. That's interesting. It's interesting to me because the name of Stevens Creek Church when we first planted this church was called Church of the Harvest. And I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. Didn't think too much more about that. This guy I'd never met before, probably 70s, so, pastored a long time. I see him. We're standing um, just in the auditorium there at Lakewood, and he comes up and says that. I said, okay. See him um, later on that day. We get on the plane, come back. Okay, on Friday day before yesterday, uh, JT was ordained by our denomination. So I went uh, to see the JT ordained. And proud of him for uh, taking that step. And we went out to eat uh, with a group of about six or eight pastors. After lunch, we were walking out the door and Pastor Stan Lester uh, from Dalton grabbed me and said, Marty, he said, I just want to tell you something. The Lord has a, another harvest for you. And the second harvest will be bigger than the first harvest. I thought, okay, that's interesting. And it kind of just went on. And JT heard it and he was there. That night, we were in a church Friday night. Sammy Rodriguez was preaching. Sammy Rodriguez, many of you probably saw him at President Trump's inauguration. He is the one that has prayed over him. He worked for the, uh, President Obama. He also worked for uh, President Bush. So he's been a spiritual leader Pastors, a uh, uh, um, multi-ethnic church in San uh, Sacramento, California. Okay, and so he flew from Sacramento to Atlanta, preached Friday night. He is up there preaching, and he stopped, and he said, "I've got a word for a pastor here." And the Lord would say to you that there's another harvest coming, and the second harvest will be bigger than the first harvest. When he said that, I looked over to Patty. I said, that sounds familiar. Those were my words. I said, that sounds familiar. Didn't we hear that uh, at Lakewood? And then JT said, Marty, you heard that at lunch today. So three times in five days, random people put those words together. There's a second harvest coming. And the second harvest will be larger than the first harvest. I believe that's a word for our church. I believe that's a word for you. And we've got to come to the place where we're willing to believe God, that we're willing to make room in our hearts for him, but make room in our schedules for other people. We've got to be like these four men in their small group where they went to their friend's house and said, I'm going to take you to Jesus this week. I want you to make room in your schedule just for a conversation, just to be nice to somebody. That's it. Smile at them. Be nice to them. And just maybe that will open up a conversation where all you have to say is, hey, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? That's it. That's it. Just do your part. I believe that God is going to use us to be a part of his end time harvest. That God wants more than anything else for your friends and your relatives and your neighbors to be born again. God wants more than anything else for their lives to be changed. For them to be a part of his family. So let's talk about that. When we think about God's family... There are four things I want to say. First of all, the Christian life is not just a matter of believing. It is a matter of belonging. Yes, it's important for you to believe. It's important for you to go forward in baptism on September uh, 16th. That is very important. But it's not just a matter of believing. It is a matter of belonging that what we see here in this room is that this is a family gathering. This is a family meeting. And when we think about, we hear the word belonging, I often think about the word membership. Now, a lot of people, they can't stand the word membership. They want to be free spirits, and they want to float from one church to another church to another church. But the Bible is very clear Christ calls us to be members of his body. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, So now Gentiles, and you and I, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews. Uh, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. God wants you to be a part of his family. Some people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Really? You're a Christian, but you don't go to... To me, in my world, that just does not make sense. The church is is the place where you learn how to be a Christian. The church is that place where you learn how to carry out your faith. If you don't belong to a church, it's like a football player saying, you know... I'm a football player, but I don't want to be a part of the team. Does that make sense to you? Or if you're like a tuba player and you say, well, I'm a tuba player, but I don't want to be a part of the orchestra. No, not me. No orchestra here. Or how about you're a soldier? You're a soldier. You say, I'm a soldier, but I don't want to be a part of that platoon. No, no, no. Stay away from me. Does it make sense That if a person is a Christian, that they don't want anything to do with the church, the church that Jesus died for? Just think about that. You know, there's a word for a Christian without a church family. You know what that word is? It's the word orphan. The word for a Christian that does not have a church family is a word orphan. God has adopted us into his family. Romans 12 said, So in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to the others. Each member. We're members together. And I realize that so many times in America people don't connect. They'd rather be a consumer than a contributor. They'd rather float. Uh, I really feel like that You'll never discover your purpose in life if you continue to float from place to place to place. And look, Stevens Creek may not be that place for you. Okay? I want it to be. But I I can't force that. It may not be. So I would just say, go find that place. There are hundreds of great Bible-believing, spirit-filled churches in this community. And I just would speak to you from a, a shepherd's heart to say, go find that place. Ask God to lead you to that place. But I want you to connect there or connect here. And I want you to, to love your spiritual family. And I think when you do that, you'll get connected. It'll be like you'll have a whole new set of friends. Let's talk about this. Here's the second thing. I believe friendship is built on sharing your life with others. And if you want friends, you've got to make time for them. We're talking about making time for God, making a place for God, making time for other people. If you want friends, I want you to make time for them. And In Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 said all the believers met together constantly and they what? They shared everything with each other. They shared their very lives. They they came together. They met together on a regular basis. So I said, this is important to us and we're going to get together. So many times people don't make time to meet together. And as a result of that, they find themselves all alone in the middle of a struggle, middle middle of a storm. There's something about meeting together, learning how to 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 move in his presence, learning how to share with one another. So, so what are we sharing here? Because, you know, sharing is an important part of friendship. When I think about small groups, and I think about communities, it's really experiments and sharing. We share three things. We share our experiences. The Bible says that you learn from each other that iron sharpens Iron. And you know what I've learned through the years is that I can learn from the experiences of other people. I don't have to go out and do the same things they have done. In other words, when somebody's really made a, a blunder in their life or in their marriage or in their, uh, in their money or whatever else, I can learn. So, oh, I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to do that. I can learn from the experiences. So when we come together as a a family, we learn from each other. We learn from their experiences. So we share those experiences. Secondly, we share our homes. We open up in 1 Peter 4 9. It says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. In other words, we said, hey, let's go out and grab um, something to eat today. We find that Sharing a meal with somebody opens up a conversation and you will learn something about that person that you didn't know. And it's through those experiences that you grow in a deeper relationship and a deeper uh, friendship. It's in those experiences that you learn what it means to fellowship. Here's the bottom line. You cannot fellowship in a crowd like this. Now, you can come in uh, and you can worship and you can celebrate. And it is exciting when, the, when our, uh, our hearts are, are celebrating what God has done. You can celebrate in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. Uh, you fellowship when it, uh, it's in smaller groups. I said three things. You're going to share your problems, too. When you get to know people, you get to share your problems. Here's an interesting thing. You know, when you share a joy... It is doubled, but when you share our hurt or problem, it's cut in half. Think about that. You share something joyful; they're going to share that with other people. It's doubled. But you share a problem; they're going to help bear that burden. They're going to cut that in half. Here's the third thing: God plans. Uh, God's plan for us is to connect, right? And He encourages us in partnership. God's plan encourages partnership. We must all do our part. Those four guys in that small group went over to their friend's house. They took his mat that he was laying on, this paralyzed guy. They picked him up and they took him to Jesus. Here's what they're saying. We can't heal our friend. Only Jesus can do that. But we can do our part here. We're going to do the possible and we're going to believe that God is going to do the impossible. God will never ask you to do something you can't do. I don't believe that. He's going to ask you to believe him and his power. If you will do the possible and have faith, I believe that God will come and do those things that are impossible. Paul said it this way. He said, we work together in 1 Corinthians 3 as partners who belong to God. We're in this together, and we've got to do our part. Here's the final thing. God welcomes us into his family, and we should love one another like he loves us. We need to love one another. That's part of what it means to be a family. You know, very practically, in families... You love your family. You don't always get along with them, do you? You don't always get along with your family. But you love them and you're a part of the family. Same way with church. You're not going to get along with everybody here. This is, not a, uh, this is not heaven yet. We live in a real world with real issues. But what we understand is we're family. We're sticking together. We're united in this When we first started the church, we called our small group ministry kinship groups. You know, we were cool back then. I always wanted to have a good name, cool name for everything. Now we're pretty simple. I always say here, I said, I want to be clear, not cool. Todd says, can't we please be cool and clear? I mean, is there room for that? Maybe. But I always want to be clear and not necessarily cool. But back in those days, I wanted to be cool. And so we're going to call it kinship. Now we call them small groups. Now, the reason that that was important because I wanted to just to try to encourage the concept of family. It could be that I grew up watching the Beverly Hillbillies and they were kinfolks, right? And so maybe that's kind of what uh, was driving that train. But I think about kinship literally means your closest relationships. It means your closest family. You know, when somebody has an accident, what do you hear on the news? We're withholding the names until the next of kin are notified. The next of kin. The next of kin actually means those people that mattered the most. They want to find the people that mattered the most. The Bible says that's the kind of attitude that we should have with our spiritual family, that these people matter to us. We say it around here all the time people matter. And if they matter to God, then they ought to matter to us. I look at the names of these, on these windows. These names represent lost people. And we know lost people matter to God. And if they matter to God, then they ought to matter to us. They matter to God so much that His Son, Jesus, would give His life on a cross so that they could be healed and that they could be free. God welcomes us into his family and we should love one another as he loves us. In closing, I want to tell you, God loves you. And this is not just a trite saying, but God loves you and he literally, he really does have a plan for your life. But so many times we fight against God's plan, we fight against God's movement when I just want you to pause and say, God, speak to me. Have you ever asked this question, God, what do you want me to do? Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, would you open the doors that you want me to walk through and would you close the doors that I'm not to go in? Have you ever been that kind of that kind of conversation with the Lord? I want you to have that kind of conversation today. Just say, God, I'm giving you my life. Some of you may have never made a decision to follow Jesus. You're watching online now and you've never made it a, follow, a decision to follow Jesus. Today, today is your day. You say, well, how do I do that? What? I don't know what to say. Just say, Jesus, save me. How about that? Sometimes it's the two word prayers that are the most powerful. Help me. Heal me. Guide me save me. Fill me with your presence. And when we approach God in that kind of way, God comes and hears those prayers. And I believe it starts to work in our lives. And he's going to start to do that today. Will you pray today and invite Jesus Christ to be the leader and to be the Lord of your life? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful this moment that we have an opportunity. Those watching online, those in this auditorium, those that have never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. Say that. Say this. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I give you my life. Fill me with your presence. And Father, I pray not only for those, but I pray for those people that have wandered and that today is the day that that they're coming home. So move in families and move in individuals today. And I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would complete what you've started. We give our lives to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you today.